2: Coming up this hour, do we still need to wear masks outdoors? And then we're joined by religion news service writer Bob Smetana. You're listening to The Common Good. Hey, everybody. Welcome to The Common Good here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life, alongside Aubrey Sampson. My name is Brian Fromm. Glad to have you with us on this hump day, this Wednesday Wednesday. afternoon. It's a big, you know, it does feel like now you can see the yes, weekend coming. It feels good to it's be at coming. Wednesday. Yes, and uh it, it is today you let me know that today is National Superhero Day. I feel like of the two of us uh you're the superhero that lover. That is like probably you true. Are. You're
3: getting there because I know you're beginning to watch the Marvel movies with your family, but I am I'm more of the superhero lover than you are. That's okay. That's, that's okay true. to so, say out loud. That's that's honest. So
2: so let's have uh, the most controversial topic you could have around oh. superheroes. Is is Batman a superhero? Oh,
3: right. Because he's a human, you mean?
2: Well, plus he just has gadgets. He's just gadgets. rich. He doesn't have he's superpowers. just like a super
3: rich guy, basically. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
2: I'm going with yes. Batman was my not only a superhero, but has always been my favorite oh, superhero from my very that. young age. So
3: loyal to Batman. Good job. I yeah, am. there have been a lot I of different am. iterations of Batman over the years. And it is
2: I true. like Christian Bale's uh, Batman the best. I like the 1970s and 80s show <laughs> with the boom and the With bounce. Robin. <laughs> yeah, they look good in their costumes. <laughs> That's the one. So happy Wednesday. Happy National Superhero Day. Uh, but yesterday was a big mm-hmm. day as we continue to move our way out of this pandemic, hopefully. But there's still a lot going on I mean, worldwide. You've seen what's going on oh, in India right now. now. Yeah. I read a thing where they think there might be half a billion cases right now. Wow! uh, With you know their their uh, their medical system is obviously uh, not as good as ours. People are kind of very heavily populated, so very scary what's going on over there. But over here, uh, things still continue to improve. People are getting vaccinated. I got my second vaccination shot yesterday. You warned me that I was going to be. Laid up today, gonna be crazy. I'm feeling you're fine. Good. Maybe you're the like
3: superhero, I, Brian.
2: Or <laughs> yes, really get vaccinated. I, can, I, can. I
3: think they gave you the placebo. That's what I think happened. Yes.
2: What is your superhero power? I can withstand vaccinations. <laughs> <laughs>
3: well, congratulations. Well done on getting your second vaccine.
2: Thank you very much. So with the increase in vaccinations, the warm weather, all of this stuff, the CDC came out yesterday and tried to answer this question. Do I need to wear a mask outdoors? Uh, That's a question a lot of people Mm -hmm. are asking and we're going to discuss. But let's listen to this kind of news report about how they answered the question.
0: Tonight, the CDC's About Face changes daily life for all Americans, especially those fully vaccinated. Releasing this new chart, updating guidelines on face masks outdoors. The agency now says whether you're vaccinated or not, it's safe to walk down the street, go for a run or a bike ride without a face covering. You also won't need one to attend a small outdoor gathering like a barbecue if everyone else is vaccinated
3: if you are vaccinated, it is safe to be outdoors without a
1: mask. And the more and more people who get vaccinated, the more you'll have more people who are safer without masks.
0: For those who are fully vaccinated, the new outdoor guidelines extend further. The CDC also saying it's safe to gather outside in a small group, whether others are vaccinated or not. Also, given the all clear, dining outside at a restaurant with friends from multiple households. And though the agency says the vaccinated should still wear a mask at large outdoor gatherings, like a baseball game or a concert, the risk is low. The bottom line is clear. If you're vaccinated, you can do more things more safely, both outdoors as well as indoors.
2: All right, Aubrey. So the CDC is starting to say less mask wearing is possible. I can go to a barbecue with my friends. That's what I heard. I'm doing it. It is when I listen to this, a couple different things come to mind. A or one is, uh, OK, things are opening yeah. up again. This feels yeah. good. This and that. But two, and maybe the CDC has to be this way, like maybe it's because they're giving advice and stuff. But don't you feel like the things they're talking about, the vast majority of people are already doing? Well,
3: yeah. So I, <laughs> yes. Or is that just
2: what I, where no, I'm I mean, rolling yes, right now? I don't know. <laughs> even as
3: I was driving home from the show last yesterday evening, you know, everyone in my neighborhood was walking around in groups without masks because it was such a beautiful yeah. afternoon yesterday. But certainly there are people that are still more cautious, maybe still nervous, Or just want to do it really right, like want to follow by the book. And so I do think the CDC has to be really specific. Like now you can do X, Y, Z. And I'm just grateful. Like, I'm, yes, there's a group of people in my life that are now vaccinated. Let's go out. Let's go to the Morton Arboretum. Let's walk around downtown. Let's go to restaurants. Uh, Let's yeah, let's party. The time has come.
2: So you're a total 43-year-old that you just did. You just put together Morton Arboretum <laughs> and let's party. <laughs> <laughs> let's party.
3: It's the arboretum. Let's look at those flowers and those trees. It's gonna be gorgeous. The trolls,
2: yes. No, the trolls are gone now, by oh, the way. So we have a membership there. Oh. I don't know if you've been to the Morton Arboretum since the pandemic started, but you have to reserve I have the time, been by there by the
3: several way. times since it's been a it's been quite a getaway for me during the pandemic, actually.
2: <laughs> I do love the arboretum. But uh that is off the subject. It is odd. I do find it odd because like I said, we've been going to baseball tournaments for the last yeah. couple of weeks. You're not gonna see a- I kind of feel like I'm good. Okay. I might get myself in trouble with some people here. I'm good with no mask outside no matter what I'm doing. As long as I'm outside, I'm going no mask. I'm good. Uh, And I get that that's not where everybody's at. I actually had dinner with somebody last night uh, who's been very cautious, but we were able to sit outside because it was 80 degrees and felt very normal and this and that. and. Uh, but inside, especially the places where they still require masks, don't be a jerk. Yeah, wear a mask wear if mask. they ask you to wear the a mask. The time is coming when we won't uh, have
3: to. But the longer we, you know, wear a mask if we have to, then we won't have to sooner. Does that make sense? That's right. That's that right. What's
2: your word? Maybe you don't have a word for these people, but what we talked about this a couple of days ago. But what is your word for the people who, even when they they've been vaccinated, they hear the CDC saying this, and they're like, I just can't do it. Aww. Like I'm 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 not able to. Uh, I still feel great amounts of fear and and anxiety around all that's happened. What's a word for those I don't know.
3: I I just feel so much compassion for those people. I actually have a really close family Mm -hmm. member who is deeply struggling um, with anxiety uh, still around the virus and is very hesitant to go anywhere without a mask, is very hesitant to go a lot of places in general and, I just have a lot of compassion for those folks, and I would just continue to say if you need to talk to a if you need to talk to a therapist because it's getting a little bit imprisoning for you. There is no shame in that. You're not alone. We have all been through this massive trauma, and um, and also maybe take a step right, like take mm. a begin to just small steps, like go to the grocery store if you can, or take a walk outside if you can, and just begin as you feel safe to. Um, Venture out into the world. I don't know if you meant that kind of word or if you meant like a name for Did those you? folks. But no, no,
2: no, no. I meant like encouragement. You're like, what's the
3: word that we describe them <laughs> as?
2: <laughs> what would you call those people? <laughs> oh. No, no, exactly what I meant. Like because there are. I have talked to some people where I leave the conversation and a lot of you people listening right now might feel this way where I think to myself, man, you've been vaccinated. You've been this. I don't know what gets yeah, you back into quote yeah. unquote normal life. And I, I do feel for those people. And I think you give a, a really good, um, a charge, a word there that says, Hey, take baby yeah, steps, yeah. right? Like Go outside, take your mask off, go for a walk and, you know, out at the Arboretum yeah. or a place like that where you're not going to be shoulder to shoulder with people and then take another step. I do think, you know, habits form after 21 days. And we've been doing this for 14 months now. <laughs> That's <laughs> right. There's some
3: things ingrained in us. Yep.
2: It's really difficult. But now even the CDC is saying outside as we head towards spring and summer here uh, that that we're good to go. And so let's celebrate that, and uh, and let's do that. Happy National Superhero Day again, and uh, we're thrilled to have you with us. Coming up next, uh, we're going to talk about well, – you and I are both preachers. Mm-hmm. We both preach. You, you do a lot of yep. speaking. Uh, we're going to talk about the concept of plagiarism. Ooh. And when borrowing a sermon goes too far, that's an article that was written by Bob Smetana at the Religion News Service. He's going to join us to talk about that next year on The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to The Common Good here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life, alongside Aubrey Sampson. My name is Brian Fromm. Glad to have you with us today. On this Wednesday afternoon, and we are thrilled to be joined uh, all the way from just south of Nashville, Tennessee, by a uh, religion writer and national reporter for the Religion News Service. Uh, his name is Bob Smetana. Bob, thanks so much for joining us today.
4: Oh, glad to be here.
2: Absolutely. Hey, before we jump into what Aubrey and I were discussing, is just a fascinating article about plagiarism and preachers and when borrowing a sermon goes too far. So we're excited <laughs> to talk to you about, about that. But before we do that, could you just introduce yourself to our audience so they can get to know you a little bit?
4: Sure. I'm a longtime religion reporter. I'm actually a second-career journalist. I did nonprofit work before starting journalism in the late 90s, which feels like a century ago. <laughs> and uh, it was a millennium alone, in the last millennium. Yep. And, uh, so I've been doing this for about 20 years, and I, I cover mostly evangelicals. Uh, I've written for religious publications, Christian. I used to write a lot for Christianity Today. I uh, was a longtime religion reporter here at the Tennessee and in Nashville, and now I'm the national reporter for religion news services, sort of like uh, uh, um, an associated press uh, service for religion. So we specialize in in reporting on religion and a lot of folks cover our stories. So you've seen our stories all over the place. Um,
3: Okay, Bob. So you wrote this fascinating article. If you have eyes plagiarize when borrowing a sermon goes too far, Brian and I are both preachers. We talked about that before we went on the air here. Talk to us about what led you to write this and why does it matter?
4: Well, this—I got a tip about this. I knew that there the that a preacher who was fired for plagiarism a number of years ago, and then some folks from his church came to me and said, "Hey, I think our former preacher's up in Michigan plagiarizing." Oh, yeah. And so uh, I went, okay, and then I started looking and I, I watched the a couple sermons of his, and and they came from Mark Driscoll sermons, and he just wow. kept—you uh, can see the same. I think the same arm motions, the same oh, stories. Wow. Uh, at some points, uh, there was a. You know, he would the same. He would tell the same story as if it was mm. him, but it was a Mark Driscoll story. And so uh, I thought, well, we should write about this. And it does happen more often than you think. You know, I think preachers sure. like to borrow from other yes. preachers and emulate other preachers because you learn how to preach by hearing other preachers. But like uh, the line between borrowing and you know taking someone else's word is big. And I, I actually have an interest in this. I used to fact check my pastors. Oh sermons. no way. Oh, wow. My daughter made me stop because they would tell a story or they would give an anecdote or a fact and I would be looking at it and I'm like, I don't think that's mm. true. Mm. So I, I would stop because it undermines the message. If you are telling a story yes. about what you think is true and then you tell a, a fake anecdote that's meant to undergird yeah. your point, it doesn't yeah. work because mm. then it's like, wait, you can't prove something true with something that's mm. fake.
2: Yeah, yeah, that's fascinating. Bob, when you talked about there being a line, and, and I know it's 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 kind of a vague line, where, when is it borrowing and when is it plagiarizing, in your opinion?
4: Well, that's a good question. I mean, plagiarism is taking someone else's words and say saying they're, they're your own, and, and often some taking someone's idea. Like, preaching a sermon on thou shalt not steal is, you know, that's just from the Bible, right? So you're not going right. to steal somebody. If you, if you start taking... Um, what we would call plagiarism is taking a section of someone's work without without attributing it. So if you know that you got the whole sermon from say Rick Warren or Charlie dates or somewhere else and don't say I did this, that's plagiarism. So in the, in the journalism world, there are, you know, there's information and facts and news that you report, but, but if you take, you know, several paragraphs that sound exactly the same word, if you use the same transitions, same phrases, that becomes plagiarism. Hmm. So, And it's actually weird because it's, you know, when you speak or write, it's really easy to say where you got Mm -hmm. something. I heard this sermon from (laughs) so and so. I got this story. So and so tells a story about when they were doing this, and Mm -hmm. you can do this. Um, And uh, I don't think anyone blats an eye. But I think if you you take the sermon, you just, uh, because the sermon is supposed to be the preacher speaking to the congregation, and if you take, especially someone's story or their particular take on indelible as if you experienced that, that seems to cross the line.
3: I was thinking about, I, I, you know, I've heard from some pastors who maybe on the other side of this would say, well, you know, it's not my intellectual property. It's God. So anyone can use it however they want to. What is the problem with that kind of attitude?
4: Well, there's a, there's a couple things. One, uh, so Scott McKnight up at Northern seminary had a great line about this, that, that basically you're lying. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You're you're lying to your congregation. The congregation thinks that you wrote this sermon. That you, because the sermon is not like a speech, like a, you know, a, a, a political. Uh, the mayor of Chicago say gets to give a speech, or the governor of Illinois, or the governor of, of the president. They get to give a speech. So chances are someone else wrote that. We mm-hmm. know that. If you're the giving a sermon, you are supposed to have, you know, s- spend time in the the Word, spent time with yeah. God. Felt like oh, because you're the the preacher is taking God's word and applying it to the congregation in their particular place. And so, if you are instead just reading a generic piece of work that was told to anyone and not spending that time, what does God want to say to our people? That's the that's the yeah. the lie. Yeah, you, you haven't really you kind of short circuited that that uh, connection. Instead, you're just reading someone else's work as if you had done yes. this.
2: Yeah. Yeah. You know, Bob, the preachers that I have known, uh, you know, I've been a pastor for like 20 years. The preachers that I've known who have just blatantly plagiarized, its it tends to, at least my history with people, it tends to be part of a much bigger problem. Like there's other stuff going on in their life. There's other sin or they're just struggling. Is that what you found in your research here? Is, is plagiarism usually kind of a window into a much bigger problem for pastors?
4: So I, I, don't, I don't have enough information to do this. I know that one of the folks I talked to, where they had a uh, pastor plagiarized, that was became a sign of something else. Mm-hmm. And the Mark Driscoll is the most famous one True. recently, where Mark Driscoll's plagiarism was part of a whole yeah. bigger uh, pattern. So this one, actually one uh, minister I, I talked to, the guy who gave us this line, if you have eyes plagiarize." he, you know, when he's a young minister, they, they first were looking out for great ideas from other churches. This, this is great. Let's do this, because another church that was bigger did this, and we can learn from them. And then I think at one point, he began to say, Wait, everything we've done is stolen mm. from someone else. Mm. So I think that's the question is like, Am I telling you the truth? Why can't I tell you the truth about what I'm doing? Uh, why do I want to not tell you? And it's so easy to tell them, right? It's just so easy to say, um, Wait, I, I I, got this idea yeah. from so and so. In some ways, it gives you, it gives you more, um, more authority. So the intellectual property question is super interesting. This is a little bit religion nerdy. So it's just <laughs> go
3: for
2: it. it. But,
4: the the there's a real debate over whose intellectual property a sermon yeah. is. The uh, the IRS thinks that the pastor is a it's work for hire, so the, actually the intellectual property belongs mm-hmm. to the church, not to the pastor. Now, pastors, especially large church pastors, disagree. They say it's more like a professor's notes. But there is a you are stealing something that actually legally belongs to either the pastor yeah. or the church. So you are taking something that's not yours, and you're getting paid for work you didn't right. do and substituting someone else's work. So there is there is a money issue in that.
2: Yeah. Uh, again, we're joined by Bob a uh, religion writer and national reporter for Religion News Service. You can follow Bob on Twitter at Bob Smitana, S-M-I-E-T-A-N-A, at Bob Smitana. Bob, we do want to jump into another article you wrote about vaccines. But before we do that, I I want to ask you just a very general question. As a religion writer, a a reporter who just focuses on religion, you probably spend a lot of your time with kind of the dark side of evangelicalism, the dark side of religion. I'm just curious, what effect does that have on you? Like, how do you protect your own soul? How do you go to church on a Sunday and not be, you know, kind of everything polluted by the things you're reporting on throughout the week?
4: Well, oh, that's a good question. So I, I, you know, I mean, religion is like anything else. There are people involved. So sometimes it's good. It's not like I have, have gone to church and not found bad people. Right. 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 And conflict like there are people and there are people in this. So I, you know, there are lots of, more. in fact, here's an interesting thing. So I, I worked for a number of magazines, a couple of magazines before I came to, actually one magazine and a lot of freelancing before I came to Nashville. And, uh, I knew the thought I knew about Southern Baptists. I've told the story before. So Southern Baptists, all I knew about Southern Baptists were what I saw on television, which they were fighting all the time. And uh, there were a lot of, I would say, uh, people like to uh, fight and argue about everything. They're always mad about something. And so I thought I knew this. So then I moved down here. And I meet all these Southern Baptists. First thing I learned is that, that we had a tornado. And when there's a tornado uh, down here, the Southern Baptists and the Methodists and the Presbyterian, they all yeah. show up. To clean up your yard and feed you, so there's an enormous amount of good that gets done in the world by religious groups. And mm. so, I get to see a lot of like, oh, the Southern Baptists are different than the leadership mm. of the Southern Baptists. So, that's kind of a window, and I there's lots of great folks. Uh, even when I'm working on a terrible story, I usually meet people who have had these great experiences, And and sometimes it's hard because they get betrayed. And you know, even people that do things that are harmful. Uh, Are still doing good. And so that's actually one of the the kind of interesting conundrums is that we can have a clergy person who's done a great deal of work in the world that's great and turns out to have really done Mm. some awful things. You think of like Willow Creek, which I reported on quite a bit. You know, Willow Creek had Bill Hibbles did lots of good things, had lots of issues. And uh, I think that's one of the things that I do wish that as a reporter, I think. We get to see what happens when religious groups have a problem that they ignore Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and let it go so far. And you think, well, here's all the ways that this could have been taken care of early on and nipped in the bud. And then that person, but we, uh, I think religious groups, you know, churches sometimes empower people in unhealthy ways. Absolutely. Then they do it and then if the person goes south, it's that person's fault. When you think the whole culture here was around how awesome this person is and built around that person and mm-hmm. then they can no one can live up to you know, no one can be an object of worship because they're gonna fail. And we make yeah. people into objects of worship.
3: Yeah this is fascinating Bob and Leah like, we we interviewed David French yesterday and he you know he and his wife are obviously exposing some of what was going on at uh the Cannacook Cannacook and this seemed to be part of the culture there too this culture of cover up and I I do feel like man, the evangelical world has got to come to terms. It's like a come to Jesus moment as far as our cover-ups. <laughs> um, but Bob, you actually wrote a different article that I wanted to talk to you about, about my good friend, Jamie Ayton. He's an evangelical leader that was advocating for vaccines and he actually received a death threat. And I would just love to hear from your perspective, what do you think is causing people to have this sort of violent reaction to um, the vaccine or to people who are advocating for the vaccine.
4: So Jamie actually had some really good points in this. One of the things he thought is that um, this is part of the bigger tribalism, uh, politicization of our, you know, political divides of our country, that we just had, these things have become identity. So actually for a long time, um, you know, black Protestants, for example, were the least likely to say they would be vaccinated, and that's actually in part because of, um, you know, the history of vaccines and scientific testing on uh, Black populations. So we had Tuskegee syphilis uh, experiment, which is a really awful mm-hmm. experience. So, but in recent recently, and so white evangelicals are actually now the least likely to say. About fifty four percent say they won't. Uh, only only fifty four percent say they would mm-hmm. get a vaccine. So they're the least likely religious group, and so. Um, some of this has to do with the mask and the uh, personal liberty and the politics of that. So um, it, it's become a political identifier of uh, instead of public right. health. And so I think that's what happened to Jamie. Jamie, by, by saying, as a someone who's concerned about disasters and public health, you should do this because it'll be good for the common good, he is identified as someone who is Making a political claim that is sort of mm-hmm. anti-freedom or anti-so, in the same masking thing. Masking is a lot of anger about it, uh, and so that's become another marker of like you are us or them. So if you are pro-vaccine, which is there's irony because the you know former President Trump, it's his his administration that gave the money to develop right, these
1: vaccines, exactly right
4: so. But the it's become this idea that if you are pro-vaccine, you are anti. And there's a whole lot of anti-vaccine right. evangelical things going on. So there's a whole lot of things. But some of, this is, some of this is tribal. Some of this is a loss of interest, loss of faith in experts. Mm. Some of this is just political. Mm. Um, you know, and I think the, the – so one of the things that's happened in politics is there's a difference between – we most people – who have a partisan identity, because there's, there's polling on this, uh, Pew has some of the polling on this, see the other side as the enemy and yeah. dangerous. Mm-hmm. Pew research has Pew a lot of polling on this. So it's not just that to... So I do think that if you, in this last election, who you voted for, depends on which side you are, is a sin. Voting for Biden would mm-hmm. be a sin, or voting for mm-hmm. Trump would be a sin. And it's an unforgivable sin in some mm-hmm. cases. And so that's the... So if you are seen as the, uh, you know, and then we have the whole QAnon conspiracy right. thing. Yeah. Um, so there's a lot of that. There's just a lot of um, we have people are under a lot of pressure. There's so much change in our Ugh. culture. Yeah. There's so much all at the same time. Right. It's technological, social, political, economic, and now we have, and then a, then a global catastrophe right. and demographic change. So the country is going to be different than mm. it was. Just. Uh, and so, you know, it was mostly white country for a long time. Now we're going to be a, not a country in a few years where there's no, no uh, majority. Yeah. That's yeah. A, a lot of change all the same time, and people don't know what to do. When change happens, people withdraw yeah. and get angry. Yeah. So, you know, the vaccines isn't just about vaccines. It's mm-hmm. about vaccines and anxiety. Uh, Ed Stetcher, who's a Wheaton, likes to talk about yeah. what they call losing yeah. home field advantage. So white Christians have lost home field mm-hmm. And in doing that, they feel ang- anxious. Nice. So that's a lot of what's nice. going on. And so yeah. when people are anxious, they they don't handle change or conflict yeah. well.
2: Yeah, yeah. Bob, it's like the last minute we have left, and this is a big, much bigger question than probably the time allotted, is, uh, The division within the church, the politicalization of the church and culture. Do you have hope that that's going to get better or are you fearful that we're kind of heading down a path where this is just going to kind of keep growing and growing? Uh,
4: that's the choice we all have to make. Mm. We do have a choice we all have to make. And you know one of the things that's great, I, I always tell people, the great part about being a religion reporter is I get to talk to people about God all day long, mm-hmm. and I don't have to win. <laughs> that's good. I don't have to tell you, like, your view on whatever it is yeah. is right or wrong. You just tell me what you think, and I understand it, and then I report back what you said and what you think. And it removes, if you don't have to win, then you can mm. listen. And people, you know, it's the greatest gift to give someone is to listen to them. And and if they tell you something that's hurt them, even if you don't agree, you don't have to agree. You just listen and say, okay, now I understand how you feel. Saying I understand understand what you're saying and I hear that, I hear what you're saying is different than saying that I'm endorsing what you're saying. And we've lost the ability to differentiate between those two things.
2: That's yeah, well put. Again, uh Bob Smetana is a religion writer and national reporter for Religion News Service. You can follow Bob on Twitter uh, at Bob Smetana, S-M-I-E-T-A-N-A. He's a great follow on Twitter. Bob, one thing I figured out on Twitter is that you're a big uh, Red Sox. Oh, Celtics, I was just going to bring that fan. up. <laughs> And, uh, I, and I grew I'm, up out
4: there. Yes, I'm a
2: diehard New York Mets fan, and it's Mets-Red oh. Sox tonight. So. Oh, yes. <laughs> the game went
4: well last night.
2: Uh, yeah. really for you, it did. For you, it did. Yes. yes. It <laughs> <laughs> hey, Bob, this was a great, great pleasure for us. Thanks so much yeah, for joining us today. thank you so much, Good Oh, great to talk with you. You too. You too. Coming up next, we're going to talk about gossip and why it matters in the church. We are You are listening to The Common Good here on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey, friends, welcome back to The Common Good here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Aubrey Sampson, I'm Brian Fromm. Glad to have you with us on this Wednesday afternoon. I want to spend some time talking about another topic that we should probably talk more about in churches, uh, but we tend not to, and that is gossip, right? The Bible has a lot to say uh, about gossip. Uh, and, and when, it, but, but here's Aubrey, what I would love to talk about. Christianity Today ran an article. Kate Shelnut, who's been on the show many times. She's so great. Yeah. Wrote an article this week that basically questioned like, when is gossip to be avoided? And mm. when do we when do we label things gossip that in reality are people basically being whistleblowers or calling out abuse? And, yeah, and where the the claim of gossip is actually used to keep people quiet? Yeah, uh, and and how do we differentiate? I found that to be fascinating. I quite honestly never thought about that, but you could see where in abusive situations and kind of power structures within churches or parachurch organizations where people say, don't gossip, right? Like, like that's gossip and don't do that. Uh, and, and all that really does is allow the, allow the powerful people to not have uh, these things. And the accountability
3: up. that they need, right? It, it, it exactly. allows corrupt behavior to
2: go on. So I've never really wrestled with that. Yeah. How do you kind of think that through? And, and is this something you've ever thought about?
3: Well, I, you know, I it made me think of um, Nathan and David, right, biblically. Mm. And that, I mean, David, obviously, very, uh, sorry, Nathan, very wisely stood up to David's power when David was acting abusively and sinfully and murderously, right? And did it in this wise way by weaving that story in front right. of David. We don't call Nathan's behavior gossip, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm, we mm-hmm. we we hold Nathan up as a wonderful example of standing up to power biblically. And so I do think that's an important definition, especially as we're seeing more and more of these horrific stories of cover-up of abuse and sin and corruption and uh, power misuse as we're seeing those stories come to the light. Um we have to be really mindful about when are we gossiping? Lisa Bevere, she's a great preacher. She talks about gossiping as two or more people standing in agreement with the lies of the devil, right? <laughs> so that's like – that's the preacher's version of gossip. But accountability is not that.
2: Right, right. Like you think of the Ravi Zachariah story that we keep going back to, mm-hmm. right? Were there people along the way – there are people who didn't speak up out of fear. Yeah. Uh, but I'm guessing there were also people who didn't speak up because they didn't want to – Gossip or besearch the name of this kind of famous right. apologist, right? right? And and uh, think about the lives that could have been changed if someone had spoken up along the way. And again, it wasn't just this gossip issue as to why people didn't speak up, but yeah. Uh, but I'm guessing that actually played into the conversation. And you know, you think about pastor abuse that we've seen, you know, over the last years, or whatever else it might be. This is a this is an important topic. So how would you define gossip? What is gossip that should be a biblically avoided in your opinion?
3: Yeah, I feel like I haven't done enough thought about gossip, but I feel like gossip is, you know, I kind of think of like me as a middle schooler, right? Where you go to your, you go to your friend and you'll be like, oh, I heard this thing about so-and-so. uh, And in the church, I think we sort of do it as like, either we do it in two ways. You're venting. I'm just venting. Mm-hmm, I just need to get mm-hmm. this off of my chest. And you kind of Under the guise of venting, it's somehow okay. But when you're talking bad about another person and then a second person agrees with that, oh, yeah, totally, and then X, Y, Z, and you have a whole conversation about that person, but you never actually go to that person and say, hey, I heard this thing about you or I'm noticing this thing about you. It's not godly or it's not good. Can we have a conversation Mm -hmm. about that? I think that's a big difference, right? Because it is certainly biblical, to go to people and speak the truth in love, yes. especially if you're seeing sin or uh, abusive behavior patterns, especially. Um, and then I, I know that there's a power dynamic there, and that can be tricky too. bring along someone with you. Go to the authorities if you need to. Like, that's not gossip. Gossip is just, I think, sort of that petty talking behind someone's back. How do you yes. define gossip, though?
2: I think uh, it is the difference between talking about somebody and talking to somebody. Oh, that's is, good, Brian. Yeah, uh, that's good. It is. Hey, I. It, it's so much easier to talk about people. And a lot of times, you know, I'll, I'm guilty of this. I will talk badly about somebody with the... Um, uh, with the intent of them, me being seen better than them or uh, me being seen better in general. It's it's a do I talk about somebody with the with the hope of tearing them down in the eyes of another person? Yeah, and, that's good. And not talking to them. I, I, I think gossip, but the Bible, the book of James has some really strong Ooh, yeah. things to say about gossip and the tongue and our speech yep. that should really give us pause this kind of talking about people.
3: Um, Francis Chan actually has a sermon about really the destruction of the church, but he does talk about the tongue. I wanted to play a little audio clip for you because it's so powerful.
1: Help me guard my lips because when I speak against that brother, I'm taking a sledgehammer to the temple. That's why if someone is going to gossip to you and say something negative about someone else in the body. Man, it is your job if you love that person to warn him. That you put that
0: sledgehammer down? Are you insane? Do you know what's going to happen if
1: you destroy God's temple? Are you are you an idiot? You're you're seriously going to go after that's why if you come from another church, man, don't go telling me anything about what happened over there and how they mistreated you and oh you poor victim man i'm sorry whatever but you know what let's be very careful about our words
3: so yeah he just talks about how basically we're taking a sledgehammer to people and when we allow other people to tear other people down we're grabbing the sledgehammer ourselves so i think that's a really good that's a good definition of gossip but again when it becomes sort of this policy in institutions do not gossip. Really what they're saying is don't hold, don't hold those in power accountable. That's where it gets really messed yeah. up.
2: Yeah. This is a hard one. Like we all think, Hey, don't gossip. So don't talk about people. Well, sometimes you need to bring up the, the, the abuse or the sin that, that yeah. is going on. Uh, but I think generally speaking, especially within the church, Think in terms of talking to somebody rather than talking about somebody. And if you're one of these people who talks a lot about people, ask yourself, why am I doing that? Mm. What what am I trying to get out of that? I think it's it's one of those sins we don't like to talk about very much. (laughs) So uh, for that reason, it is important. Coming up next. Uh, we're going to have a conversation about what robs us from experiencing the mystery of God. That's how we're going to start next hour here on The common Good. AM 1160, hope for your life. Coming up this hour, what's robbing us from experiencing the mystery of God? And then we're going to end the show with an inspirational speech from Mr. Rogers. You're listening to The Common Good. Hey, friends, welcome back to The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life, alongside Aubrey Sampson. My name is Brian Fromm. really happy to have you with us on this Wednesday afternoon. Uh, I was shocked this morning Aubrey before we jump into our topic did you see our post uh, of the interview of Dallas Jenkins yesterday you see we get like 20 likes 15 likes <laughs> and like 330 likes or something well
3: crazy. that's the power of Dallas Jenkins right there i think the, he hit he hit the like button and made a comment and all of a sudden in the algorithms we went crazy so it matters listeners that you like that you respond yes. cuz that helps our content get up in the social media world,
2: and it helps us make feel feel good about ourselves. So. <laughs> <laughs> Do it for Brian's ego; he needs it. Uh, to- <laughs> absolutely. Well, we're asking this question: uh, What is it that keeps us from experiencing? What robs us from experiencing the mystery and the presence mm. of God? I think it's such an important uh, question, and it's one that Tish Harrison Warren. Uh, wrestled with in an article that recently came out on Christianity Today, where she encourages people to log off of social media. That social media is one of the things that robs us from experiencing the mystery and the presence of God. But we're going to hear from her here in a second. But Aubrey, what comes to mind, what are the things that you think robs you or are the most common things that rob all of us of experiencing the mystery and the presence of God?
3: I mean, for me, it's just a busy schedule. Like when I don't stop and actually make time to um, sit quietly before the Lord and listen for what he has to say, um, then I just don't, I just don't worship. I don't sit there in awe. I don't sit there in wonder of the fact that the God of the universe is able and desires to speak to us and be with us because I either I'm picking up my phone because I'm doing work. I'm opening up my computer, checking emails or just things that like these things matter. I'm doing laundry. I'm running errands. I'm cooking for my family. I'm working like they're good things. And I know we can experience God in our daily routines. That's part of the beauty of God that he's in our normal stuff as well as those big spiritual moments. But I do, you know, I, I don't ever want to miss out on God's transcendence that's right and god's mystery and the fact that god is so other i mean this is just a gloriously loving father that we have to pause and get on our knees and worship or else i mean we miss out right like that's right that's right we miss out on just being blown away by his power and it just and then things like of course netflix right like i just want to watch tv (laughs) yes let's be honest
2: yes it's 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 uh for me, I think busy is the word. I think distracted and hecticness mm. are kind of the words that come to mind for me. Sometimes I just, from the moment I wake up, and I'm no more busy than other people. I'm no more, you know, I think we all live this way. Uh, From the moment I wake up until the moment I put my head on the pillow, it seems like either I don't stop or at the very least my mind doesn't stop. It, yeah. it doesn't, it, there's never this, uh, this kind of shift in my perspective of, of like, I'm going to slow down here. I'm going to, uh, you know, read the word, or I'm going to mm-hmm. spend time in prayer, or mm-hmm. I'm going to just think on the things of God right now. Right. Like, the Bible talks about that. Yep. It's not the mystics who'd only talk about that. It's, it's the Bible that talks it's about God that, right? himself
3: who says "Be yes. still and know that I am God. Yes, <laughs>
2: set your minds on the things above, right? Mm-hmm. Like, and, and I can go days, honestly, of just running hectic. It's not that I don't want to spend time with God. It's not that I don't want to set my mind on the bigger things. It's just that I get so stinking... I perceive myself to be so busy, right? Like sometimes, like you said, our busyness is just vegging out in front of Netflix or or games. There's nothing wrong with that. Right. uh, Except when it robs us of these other things. I mentioned Tish Harrison Warren. Uh, uh, She wrote this article, but there's also... Uh, this clip of her talking about what kind of things rob her uh, and rob others, how she answers this question. Let's listen to this. I was actually
5: getting busier during the day to try to sort of avoid questions I was having, uh, avoid um, pain, uh, avoid sort of facing the the loss and grief that I was experiencing. Then at night things would slow down. And so there was these, those empty hours would amplify all of the loneliness, all of the grief, all the anxiety. Um, And so my response was to fill it up, to to get distracted, to read a lot. It was Donald Trump had just been elected. So I read all, I mean, the internet was full of political commentary and I read all of it Um, to be on Netflix or um, just to get just to like distract, distract, numb. So I knew, I knew I wasn't. this was not flourishing. I mean, I was staying up way too late. I was doom scrolling. I was um, And so slowly, um, I tried through, really through a counselor, um, she kind of challenged me to to let there be time for grief, let there let there be space, let slow down.
2: all right. so Tish had a lot of the same things to say. Uh, she just writes and say things mm-hmm. in better ways. Sometimes. Right, right.
3: She's just more uh, eloquent than us. Yep. <laughs>
2: so so how do we move this conversation forward and actually make changes in our lives? Because I'm going to wake up feeling hectic tomorrow. I'm yep. going to wake up feeling hectic the next day. Yep. Uh, what do you think? How, how do we actually make some actual change in our lives so we don't go – it doesn't go from months to weeks to, to years of not experiencing the presence and the mystery of God.
3: Right. I think we have to we have to get back to grabbing a hold of our faith as a practice again, which the early church fathers did, the early church mothers did, and and literally just set aside time. I don't care what you want to call it. You call it your quiet time, your devotional time, your silence time, your stillness time, whatever you want to call it. Set aside time and make it a habit Mm. to be in the presence of God. And it's not always going to go well. Sometimes you're going to have 30 minutes and you're going to be like, well, I don't know if the Holy Spirit met me or not. That's okay. We've talked about on the show, 21 days makes a habit. 21 days makes a habit. Begin to make it an intentional habit to set time aside to be with God. Now, I know there are seasons of life. Anytime I say this, I think of young moms who have babies. (laughs) You don't have that. And that's okay. There is grace for you. God is going to meet you when you are breastfeeding in the middle of the night. God is going to meet you when you are haggard and tired and barely surviving. So don't hear this as a guilt. Hear this as an invitation that the God of the universe wants to be with you. And unless we're intentional about grabbing hold of that time with him, we'll miss out on it.
2: That's right. She writes this in her Christianity Today article, Tish Harrison Warren writes, above all, we need to be aware of the trivializing tendencies of the media we engage with. Mm. There is no neutral medium. Technological habits beget our spiritual formation, which beget our devotion and doxology. And she's going to then talk about timely silence. It's exactly what you're talking about. It's it's prioritizing Um uh, spending time with our savior. And like you said, I can, Aubrey, I can always, uh, justify being busy. Right. Uh, Like there's, there's no, it's not like, Oh, I mean, people speak of a busy season and we have seasons that are busier than others. Sure. When's the last season you had where you were like, man, I got nothing. I got, (laughs) I got got nothing but time right now.
3: No, I I long for that. I don't know if that is real, but I want it. (laughs)
2: <laughs> and it's so funny because I think we go well. What I uh, that's called retirement, and then every retired <laughs> person I talk to is like, "No, I'm busier than I've ever been." Yeah, that's so true. And that's like, so true. And and so I, what I would say, how I would end this for people is, if you're not going to, and and I'm guilty of this too, if we're not going to prioritize sitting at the feet of God, uh, this mystery, this presence, it's mm-hmm. not going to just happen. Yeah, and uh, and, and I think that we've got to wrestle with that. I think this article and these words from Tish Harrison Warren are helpful and hopefully this is kind of a wake-up call for us. Well, coming up next, uh, a a man by the name of Rene Padilla died yesterday, and you may not know him, but he has actually been super influential, especially in Latin American theology and around the world. Uh, We're going to reflect on the life of Rene Padilla and talk about why it's important for us to remember him and know about his influence. We're going to do that next here on The Common Good. AM 1160, hope for your life. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to The Common Good here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life, alongside Aubrey Sampson. My name is Brian Fromm. Really glad to have you with us. We uh, really don't take it for granted the time you spend with us, so we are grateful to get to know our audience. Shoot us a message on Mm -hmm. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, at Common Good Talk. Also, subscribe, rate, review to the podcast. We are grateful to those of you uh, who do that. So uh, yesterday, Aubrey, we talked about the death of John Stott. And just kind of his legacy. He didn't just die, but it was his hundred, 100th What birthday. would have been his yeah. 100th birthday. And we talked a lot about just this uh, continuing legacy of John Stott. And then yesterday, I believe at the age of 88, we heard of the passing of Rene Padilla. Mm-hmm. Uh, and many people out there have probably heard of John Stott, but maybe they're unfamiliar with Renee Padilla. So before we kind of get into why it's important, why don't you give us a background on who Renee Padilla was?
3: Yeah, Renee P- Padilla was a Latin American theologian and pastor and really committed to social action along with evangelism. So why his name kind of is important to evangelical leaders is because there's something called the Lausanne Covenant, which not everyone knows about, but it's sort of this statement, this group, this movement, this committee, for lack of a better word, of evangelical leaders from around the world. And years ago, they created a statement that basically said what evangelism is, sharing the message of Jesus with people that Jesus died uh, to forgive our sins and give us hope for new life and relationship with him. Well, Rene Padilla kind of looked at that statement and said, something's missing here. Hmm. And what's missing is that Jesus also makes a difference in our lives now. And for communities that are suffering, and he was specifically seeing his folks in Latin America Starving, being oppressed by corrupt leaders, dealing with um, all kinds of pain and heartache and suffering. He was saying the gospel has to be more than just one day in the future. The gospel has to make a difference now. And so mm-hmm. he began to really um, practically and intellectually and faithfully help other evangelical leaders integrate this idea of social action in the gospel. And because of that, The Lausanne movement actually changed their entire statement to include a lot of his thinking. And so, you know, things that we think now are are really, I mean, some people say it's really controversial, right, to include Mm -hmm. social action with the gospel. But um, for most evangelical Christians and for Rene Padilla, the two went hand in hand, justice and gospel declaration, gospel um, action and gospel declaration, gospel displays and gospel declaration We're always meant to be unified.
2: Absolutely. And so we've got some audio here of Rene Padilla kind of talking about some of these very things that you're talking about. Let's listen to him in his own words.
6: I think God is concerned about the well-being of everyone, everyone in society. And, you know, that has a lot to do with the biblical teaching. Shalom means Mm -hmm. harmony with God, with one's uh, neighbor, with uh, God's creation and so on and God wants that for everyone and of course in every, every situation you have to find a way to help people become fully, fully uh, satisfied with uh, the needs uh, met And you said that the first experience some people have of the gospel is a blanket or a meal or some clothing and the church needs to get better at this I think Absolutely. I mean, you know, we we try to show that Jesus Christ was uh, concerned for the whole human being, not just the soul. Uh, He was concerned about bodily needs. The healing ministry of Jesus shows that.
2: I, I just find that powerful because, like mm-hmm. you said, he's trying to help the uh, he's trying to help Christians understand wh- the the scope of the gospel. That's it, and and the difference it makes both in our future, but also in our present. And I think that's that's like you you hinted at this. This is something that the church is really wrestling with right now, yeah. uh, literally in this day.
3: Right, I you know when Kevin and I lived in Zambia for a year, uh, we. We were just uh, raised up by an African leader who taught us, like, if you're going to proclaim that Jesus is the living water to people who don't have water— You have to actually bring them clean water. Mm. If you're going to proclaim that Jesus is the light of the world to people who don't have electricity, then you also have to figure out a way that they can have lights in their homes. Like the gospel just has to be embodied and lived and be good news now as much as it is good news in heaven. And so that was just sort of our spiritual formation. So it's always shocking to me that that's controversial for people when I'm like, no, that's the gospel.
2: Yeah. yeah. Why do you think that's controversial?
3: Um, because I think people hear terms like – I'm making assumptions here – but they hear terms like social justice, and they assume that then people aren't talking about Jesus dying for our sins, mm-hmm. right? Or are they – I think maybe it's a, it's a malformation in what the gospel is. Like the gospel is too small. It's just about heaven after we die. Mm. When in actuality, we know throughout the scriptures, Jesus brought the kingdom of heaven and Jesus, everything Jesus did, he was healing people from the sick. He was feeding people. He was clothing people. He was setting people free from prison and oppression. And that wasn't just spiritual. That was physical. And that's what we're called to do as followers of Jesus.
2: Absolutely. Yeah. I think we get hung up in uh, caricatures and terms and all of this stuff as opposed to – I I don't – I have a hard time believing it can actually be controversial to people to say – you know, we need to proclaim the good news and live out the good news yeah, of Jesus. <laughs> we right. Need That's to, not.
3: There's nothing controversial about that.
2: We need to care for the same people that he cared for That's and live it. the same way he lived. But somehow we get all. You know, we get all worked up about mm. phrases and this and that, and we kind of overthink it a little bit. I, I do think just the same way we talked about John Stott yesterday. Another lesson here is a life well lived, right? Yeah. A life. That that is worthy of being honored and remembered, mm-hmm. uh, and and that's uh, easier said than done, right? And so, uh, whether it be a John Stott or whether it be a Rene Padilla, the question becomes: What is it about our lives uh, that we can do now that when we're gone will be remembered in the future? And so, yeah. uh, you know, there's that famous poem that every pastor has used multiple times, I'm sure, called "The Dash," right? That we don't. Uh, we don't control the fr- the the beginning, uh, the first date on our tombstone, nor the last date, but but it's that dash mm. in between that makes mm. all the difference. And yeah. how do we? So let's let's try to leave people with this: How do we set up our lives in such a way, or how do we live our lives in such a way that they will resonate even after we're gone? I
3: do think it's important to have that long term view in mind, and we did touch on this a little bit yesterday when we talked about John Stott. But sometimes we we're so in the moment that we forget that like let's think about ourselves. Let's actually think about our funeral and think about what do we want people to say about us and Mm -hmm. then begin to take steps now so that that actually becomes true. I just want people around me to feel loved. And I hope that I am a person who isn't just ideologically talking about the gospel in action, but I'm actually someone who puts like feet to her words, you know, and loves everyone around me. What do you think, Brian?
2: Yeah, I think, I, I think you're hitting it on the head. Like what, uh, it, it takes some forethought to go. If I start pouring in to people or to causes in my life now in such a way that's going to resonate for eternity, then after I'm gone, that's still going to resonate. Like, it's, right. I, right. I don't know. We, I think we overcomplicate it. We we spend our lives dealing with just temporal things. And then we go, did I do anything that's going to last beyond me? Probably mm. not. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. But as I build into people, as I uh, as I live for the gospel, as I'm doing things that are going to resonate, then my life will resonate uh, beyond. It's again, quoted it yesterday, but it's the old C.S. Lewis quote, that those who are the most heavenly minded, those who are most focused on that become the most earthly good. Mm. And so uh, I, I do, you know, I, I well, you don't want to, you, you don't want your life to be wasted at the end going, man, I kind of focused on a lot of trivial things. And John Stott, or now when we talk about Renee Padilla, uh, they really kind of show that to us. They give us that look. So what thought that was a life worth spending some time talking about, the life of Rene Padilla. If you are not familiar with him, go Google his name, Rene Padilla, uh, and read about some of the things that he did. Coming up next, I want to talk about a book uh from 35 years ago that is probably more... um important now than when it first came out. We're going to talk about that book and, and its uh, what its uh, main topic is. We're going to do that next year on The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Hey, friends, welcome back to The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life, alongside Aubrey Sampson. My name is Brian Fromm. Really grateful to have you with us today. Uh, I I was scrolling through, as I tend to do, looking for things to talk about, things that kind of catch my eye. And I was at the Gospel Coalition, and and I found this to be really fascinating. And you and I were just talking on air. They did a review of a book that was 35 years old. Wow. Uh, And it's a book by Neil Postman called Amusing Ourselves to Death. And and you and I both commented that, like, I know that I've read this book Mm -hmm. and realized we both separately read it. Uh, in freshman experience at Wheaton, at Wheaton College. College,
3: yes, I, not not thirty five years ago. Let's but make close. I started at
2: Wheaton in nineteen ninety five. Yeah, I was nineteen
3: ninety six. So you're so yeah, right. Might as well have been thirty five
2: years ago. <laughs> and here's the fascinating thing about uh, about this book called "Amusing Ourselves to Death" is it is more kind of uh, prophetic and prescient yeah. now than thirty five years ago. Because the general concept of the book is that we just spend all of our time uh, focused on things that just amuse us. And, mm-hmm. and, and po- uh, Postman's point is the, in the book is about the cor- – it says here the corrosive effects of television on our politics and public discourse – and the person goes on to say it's been hailed as a 21st century book published in the 20th century.
3: Oh, wow. Wow. Because
2: here's the deal. When he wrote it, there weren't even things like the internet or cell phones or listen to this. There weren't even DVDs at no, the time. I can't handle that. Wow. And so Postman writes in, uh, you know, like 1985 or whatever about – the, the, the corrosive effects of television and just are, are, are numbing our minds through media and also the way it shapes us, mm. uh, the way it shapes our politics, our religion and all sorts of things. If he could have gotten into a time machine and oh, gone into 2021. Oh, man. What he wrote about is the many ways the issue that we're facing now. But back then it was just about amusement, right? It was about these types of things. Now it's taken on such a a a bigger deal. Isn't it crazy how almost prophetic his book from 1985 is
3: today? I mean, I I actually think it is Incredibly prophetic, and I actually would like to see an update. I mean, I don't, I don't think Neil Postman is still alive. He might be. That's terrible. I don't know that we should you just find that off out.
2: Neil Postman. That was really. <laughs> but I
3: would like. What I was going to say before I said that horribly was that <laughs> I would like to see an updated version of this because I feel like this is a word for now more than ever. One of the things that. Um, the gospel coalition did an article on the anniversary of the book. One of the things that they say is that the loss of print culture didn't Mm -hmm. grieve postmen the most. It was the demise of public discourse. Mm. And again, I mean, we have seen public discourse essentially go in the toilet. You know, we don't even know how to have public discourse anymore without just hating each other and uh, vilifying one another and, doing hot takes, you know? And so I think he would have really grieved that. Our producer did just text us. He died in 2003. So I wasn't far off.
2: No, you were not.
3: But I still would like someone to come back and uh, do an updated version of his work.
2: Absolutely. And here's the deal. We've talked a lot about things like the um, uh, the social dilemma on Netflix that talks about mm. just the, the unbelievable formation that's going on through social media uh, and, uh, you know, the pervasive. Here's the deal. 1985, when Postman writes this, I don't think he could have foresaw a day when in many ways, because of social media and because of the, uh, the uh, divisive nature of our culture, cable news, there was not even cable news when he right, wrote this. Right, right. Because of this divisive nature that, quite frankly, it would lead to the storming of the Capitol. Or I, it no, would th- lead to other things like right. he couldn't have seen this, but Absolutely he was not. right yeah. uh, that it's not just anymore about our amusement, but our our television news habits, our social media habits, uh, our, our movie, whatever else. Yeah. Not only do they numb our minds and take us away from deeper thought, but now they're forming our minds and causing us to see other people as enemies, causing right. us to be super divided. And I do think, and this is where I want to spend the rest of our time. I think we need to wrestle with what to do. And we've talked about this before, but I don't think we could talk about this enough. Yeah. Uh, Not just as we are raising the next generation, but I'm talking about for us, churches, individuals, what do we do so that this kind of a trend that's going on culturally doesn't, you know, take over the church, doesn't take over our individual lives. What are just some steps that we can take?
3: I mean, I think, The first one is, is that we can't, I don't know if this is the first in order of importance, but I'm just going to put these out there. We can't get, we can't watch the news for entertainment's sake. Mm. Cause I think that's part of what's happening is people are just watching the news, whatever news outlet they like as their entertainment. And no longer is, um, are we gathering our news for information and then to help us make decisions and think critically, we're like watching it. Like it's, gossip like it's feeding our souls you know and then and then like you said that's forming us so somehow we have to get out of that habit and that may honestly just mean like cutting it off at the source for Mm -hmm. a time where we just aren't consuming it for a while you know i do think we have to get better we've talked about this on the show at social media sabbaths so that social media gets put back in its proper place it's not going anywhere so i don't think we can be like I mean, some people can just be like, I'm not going to do social media, but um, if you're going to do it, we have to put it in its proper place. And then again, I don't think we can overemphasize the goodness of Christian community that's embodied, be with other people in real life instead of living your life on the screen.
2: Yeah. And I think we have to be honest about the formative nature of cable news, yeah. of Facebook, yeah. of talk radio, of which yeah. you and I are a part yeah, of.
3: Absolutely.
2: Uh if you are never listening, reading, watching people that you disagree with, then that's a problem. Yeah. And that's what our 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 culture is set up for right now and that's why we're so divided and that's the algorithms, that's cable news, that's everything mm-hmm. that it is meant to just um Uh, build into your echo chamber and what you already believe. And so it just goes that way. One of the things we need to get better at doing, myself included, is reading people I disagree with Hmm. uh, and who may not agree with what I think, watching news that I may not agree with. Yeah. and, uh, And then wrestling with it, like you said, in community. Yeah. Uh, And then just sometimes turning the TV off, like you said, putting the phone away, putting my computer away and going for a walk (laughs) or reading my Bible or having a catch with one of my kids, whatever else it might be. That's it. Uh, Because I think you made a great point. Social media, cable news, these other things aren't going anywhere. And we don't even want them to go anywhere. We're not looking to go backwards. Uh, but we have to be very honest about the formative nature that they have on our lives yeah. and, uh, and, and, and be truthful about what they're doing in our own lives. Well, in coming hearts, up next, and our souls. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Coming up next, we're going to end the show, uh, with some, uh, inspiration, not words of ours, but words of Fred Rogers. We're going to hear from Fred Rogers next year on the common good aim 1160 hope for your life. Hey, friends, welcome back to the Common Good AM 1160. Hope for your life alongside Aubrey Sampson. I am Brian Fromm. And as we come to the end of the show, we like to do so uh, in ways that hopefully inspire you and challenge you and put a smile on your face as you go. And Aubrey, I can't think of anybody, gosh, culturally now, but especially a generation or two ago, uh, who was, quite frankly, more inspiring and uh, more uh, thought-provoking, but also put a smile on your face. Than Mr. Rogers. Did you oh, I love up-
3: Mr. Rogers.
2: Yeah, did you grow up watching Mr. Rogers?
3: I did grow up watching Mr. Rogers. Mr. Rogers and I have the same birthday—not year, but day. <laughs> so I just like to throw that out there. I, and you know who loves Mr. Rogers? My husband Kevin Doesn't loved he really? Mr. Rogers. So yeah, he
2: grew up. I actually, Carrie, my wife, grew up watching Mr. Rogers. I really didn't. Oh, you did uh, not because, like, I didn't like. I just, you yeah. know, I didn't, and so. Huh? Uh, you know, I was too busy watching Blossom and other things. Brian, so.
3: <laughs> Brian, I'm gonna br- I'm gonna bring you a life size uh cutout of Blossom soon, and you're gonna regret it. You're gonna rue the day you kept talking so about funny. Blossom.
2: So here's a question for you. Last year, two movies came out about Mr. Rogers. He's been dead for a little while now. Uh, his show is not on anymore. But a documentary came out about him, and then mm-hmm. a movie starring Tom Hanks, which mm-hmm. was phenomenal, amazing movie, uh, came out as well. I believe it was called "Won't You Be My Neighbor." Uh, here's the question. Why do you think there has been this resurgence of interest, the point that they could have two movies about Mr. Yeah. Rogers last year?
3: So I I think um, – by the way, I think the movie was called Welcome to the Neighborhood. But he um, – you know, I think in a day and age where we're seeing so much outrage, so much cynicism, and frankly, so many leaders that we find they lived these horrible lives that actually didn't match their message. Like they weren't mm-hmm. people of integrity. Here's a man whose life seemed to, in not all the ways, but in many ways, match his message. There's no scandal really around him. And then he was just genuinely kind and spread a message of kindness. And Mm -hmm. it's like, I think this is what's so crazy. We're drawn to the chaos of social media. We're drawn to the arguments. But I think our hearts really long for just genuine kindness. And so someone like Mr. Rogers is a refreshing person. And I think that's why, I mean, I'm surprised there's not more out now because right now we need Mr. Rogers in our lives.
2: Yeah. And he's one of these people that if you, if he lived now, but was kind of that still same person, that same persona, uh, like you'd kind of look at him and be like, is he just doing a bit? I think so too.
3: You'd be cynical. You might even make fun of him. I think, and he probably got that. Don't you think as he was coming to
2: Quote unquote I, fame. I, I forgot until I watched the movie that he was a pastor before being a yeah. TV guy. And like I think he was genuine and, and his wife just died this past year. Um, but yeah, it's uh it, it is interesting to think about because we spend a lot of time on this show kind of diagnosing the ills of our culture right. and what's wrong. And then you see someone like him, people are gravitating to yes. him. And I want you to hear about a minute and a half clip. This is a uh, graduation speech he gave years ago, obviously, uh, that uh, it was interesting. It was given at an Ivy League school. And I I set that up because I think it's interesting that he's talking to some of the best and the brightest Mm. and what he is that he talks about. So we want to end our show listening to this and then reflecting upon that.
1: Anyone who has ever graduated from a college college Anyone who has ever been able to sustain a good work Has had at least one person and often many Who have believed in him or her? We just don't get to be competent human beings without a lot of different investments from others I'd like to give you all an invisible gift A gift of a silent minute to think about those who have helped you become who you are today. Some of them may be here right now. Some may be far away. But wherever they are, if they've loved you and encouraged you and wanted what was best in life for you, they're right inside yourself. And I feel that you deserve quiet time on this special occasion to devote some thought to them. Whomever you've been thinking about, imagine how grateful they must be that during your silent times you remember how important they are to you.
2: It's so interesting, Aubrey, that, that Mr. Rogers seemed to have this and he took the time here in this speech to, uh, to point people back to who are the people in your life who you need to be thankful for, who got you to where you are. Yeah. Who are the people who encouraged you? Yeah. Who are the people who pushed you forward? And later on, he's going to talk about it. he's going to encourage them to be encouragers. But I remember in the movie, the weird part, that weird scene where he's in the diner with uh, with the guy and, and he makes him just sit there quietly thinking about the people who've had an influence weird in his life. Weird
3: scene. I thought that was a powerful scene. I was sitting in the theater crying. I don't think there was a dry eye in the theater. I right. like – I did not think that was weird. I thought that was amazing.
2: Okay. I I will I misspoke. I thought it was powerful and amazing, but it probably it was weird that he did it. Like in that Oh yes.
3: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where
2: the guy is like, What are you doing? And and then other people kind of took it with him. Like it was Mm -hmm. just this the kindness spread Mm -hmm. and, and it just spread all around. And that's the point of the movie, but the point of his life. And and I, and I do think it's important for us to actually spend time, whether you do it, like take a kindness break or a, or a thought break, to think about the people who have actually built into your life and gotten you to the point where you are. We can kind of use people as a means to an end and run past them and move on to the next thing. And I think Mr. Rogers saying, hey, you need to take time to reflect and be thankful. I think that's life changing uh, yeah. advice that he gave these students.
3: Yeah. I I even just, uh, by the way, we've both gotten the movie title wrong. I think it's actually called A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood. All of those work, though, when it comes to Mr. (laughs) Rogers. But I know that that moment in the movie where, I mean, you can watch this on YouTube, listeners, if you want to, where he has the, the guy across from him take, I think, like a minute and a half or something, and think through all the people who loved him into existence. And I sat there in the theater and began to think about those people. And I think that's what's so powerful is you think about if you had healthy parents who loved you into existence, mentors who loved you into being. Um, good friends who help shape you, even people you don't know, authors, preachers, um, people that you look up to from afar. And what a powerful gift that is from God, mm. that we aren't these isolated beings. We have actually been shaped by love all around us. And I think we can forget that in our busy world, in our in our divisive world. But um, many of us have been well-loved. And I think the other message is, if you feel like you have not been well-loved by people, You have been loved unstoppably by our father in heaven through Jesus. And so he has from before you even began, he was dreaming of loving you into existence and you are here because he loves you and wants you to experience his love as well.
2: That's a good word to end on. I think to be reminded uh, to take time to reflect upon the many good things that have happened in your life, even if your life is full of bad, right? Like Mm -hmm. the the people who loved you, the people who built into you. But I think- That's a perfect way to end here as well uh, is, is your charge there to help people remember that you are loved more than you could ever imagine. And you are uh, you are created in the image of God in Christ. You are a child of God. Uh, that yes. you're not a mistake. And yeah. I think that is so important. Again, if only somebody had a book coming out about that, that would be.
3: Huh. Wow. <laughs> she sounds amazing. Whoever that author is. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, have have,
2: we'll have her on the show one of these days. So <laughs> We are really glad that you joined us today. If you missed any of the show, go back and get the podcast wherever it is you get your podcast. What we ask is that you su- subscribe, rate and review, uh, especially go back and listen to the interview we did with Bob Smetana. Uh, he was the religion writer, national reporter for Religion News Service. It was really good to spend time mm-hmm. with Bob. it was great. And we hope you join us tomorrow from 4 until 6. Until then, we hope that you have a great night. For Aubrey Sampson, my name is Brian Fromm. You've been listening to The Common Good on AIM 1160, Hope for Your Life.